Welcome everyone, another beautiful Monday evening. I am your host, Mila Duchamp. Welcome to another episode of Hardship. Hardship, the now of workplace diversity, leadership and its. When we lead with empathy, compassion, love and kindness, we will truly understand how people want to be accepted, first creating and evolving culture and we have to become consciously clear how everyone exists at home, in society, at the workplace or in schools. So today I have a brilliant, brilliant guest with me today where we will be exploring on the topic of are you the same person as you are professionally and personally? And to explore this, I have a fantastic guest, Jeffrey Shapiro. Before I bring him on, let me enlighten you about what a brilliant human he is. So Jeffrey is an experienced talent acquisition leader who deeply believes in challenging the status quo. His professional philosophies are rooted in possessing a bias to action and the anticipation of customer needs. He believes just because something has always been done that way does not make it the right way. Jeffrey is a man in the arena. And without further ado, let's bring on this brilliant human. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. A brilliant human being. I don't know. <laughs> I could only go down. Thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate the humbling word. <laughs> You're welcome. No, it's, it's so fantastic. To, to have you on the show and you know I met you on Twitter and I love the work that you're doing and it's amazing to see other humans where they leap from the heart and you have constant consistently showed that in the work that you do and how you treat people online because it's so easy to you know oh I'm on Twitter I'm going to treat people like rubbish but you know you're just consistent in how you treat people and that is a great segue into what we're talking about. Are you the same person as you are personally and professionally? So let's start with let's start with your journey. You know, like are you the same person as you are personally and professionally, Jeff? I would like to think on a good day I am. Um, I will probably say I am a better human being professionally than I am personally. For some reason, I think everybody could resonate with the fact that oftentimes we probably treat strangers nicer than we do those closest in our inner circles and our loved ones. It could be expectations with what's going on right now. It could be the fact that we have all been on top of each other nonstop with no breaks for five months now. But all in all, I'd like to believe that who I am in the office is who I am walking the planet Earth. I like you mentioned that who I am walking the planet Earth. Uh, that's just, I, I feel that that's, that carries such deep meaning, right? I just want to take a moment back and say, okay, let's look from an extended lens who we are. And I love the, the term that you use, who I am walking planet Earth. Because 
it has got so many correlations that people don't don't normally think uh, from how we treat our environment to how we treat ourselves to the kind of food that we're putting in the pollution right the pollution that we're creating to in the environment uh, that's a correlation to the kind of pollution that we're creating in our mind as well and the kind of pollution that we create in our mind and in our heart that impacts us on a personal level and when it impacts us on a personal level that kind of bleeds into the professional level but a lot of the times people choose to wear masks right like at home they can be a very aggressive person and then when they come to work they put on a different mask as to oh no i've got to share the people how nice i am but at the same time that niceness only exist in the space of work but that niceness does not bleed into when you go to a restaurant and you order food and how you treat the waiter or the waitresses or how you treat the cashier so i want to explore the dichotomy first in a is there really a dichotomy or 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 is there not a dichotomy so i want to hear your thoughts on this I, I would definitely say there is. It's a lot easier to think about what we do professionally and wear that mask. It could be exhausting to wear the mask. So we come home and ultimately you get to be your, your naked bare self in how you treat people. Um, however, I would like to see the better side and really believe, especially in my world where what am I doing? I'm evaluating who somebody is are they going to execute on an organization's core values, our mission statement, and ultimately at the end of it, are they going to dazzle my customer? Because that, that's really what we're talking about. Brand loyalty is customers. In whatever vertical you are in, you are a consumer, you have a choice. Think of anywhere you go, wherever you are shopping, wherever you are spending your hard-earned money, you have a choice. Why are you loyal to this brand? It is because of your experience. It could be because they're a dollar or two cheaper, but I would argue that there are there is a large percentage of people who are willing to pay a premium for a better experience. I would go to store A where item is $3.99 and be treated like crap, or I'll go to store B and pay $4.49, the extra 50 cents to have a better experience. So the dichotomy does exist. Um, I do think a lot of people just don't understand the difference between who you are professionally and personally. I think it's a lot harder to talk the walk personally than professionally because our life is our life. Our livelihood is not necessarily who you are, but when you can get the worlds to collide, you, you're, you're living the best. I, I hope that answers what you're looking for. No, I, absolutely loved how you used that analogy right of the of the shop you go to shop a and you get treated like rubbish and you go to shop b and you pay a little bit more and you get treated well and i feel like that's class right that 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 itself transfers to classism and that's how we exist in society or even at the workplace and classism manifest or transfers or, or it morphs in the form of what kind of clothes do you wear at the workplace and if you if you come in to work with a t-shirt 
and shorts, you are kind of like perceived as, oh, you're not that fantastic. But you come in with a suit, right? Immediately, <laughs> immediately your desirability rate goes exponentially up. So, and, and that kind of like speaks to expectations to the point that you brought up at the beginning. I want to touch a little bit of expectations, right? When we talk about are we the same person whom we are personally and professionally, I think that goes back to expectations. What kind of expectations do we have as a person individually, right? Because like, how do I expect myself to carry myself? What kind of expectation do I have? in treating other people, what kind of expectation do I have out of other people, what kind of expectation do I have from myself in treating other people. So like expectation plays a huge part in how we are or how we choose to be in different spaces. Um, but at the same time, I want to explore what what does expectation mean and how can expectation look like? And, and I know that you are in the talent acquisition field. And this is so important, right? When when you are working uh, with so many different individuals trying to find who is the best candidate, right? And best can mean so many different things. Sure, it's objective. Expectations of, <laughs> yeah, expectations of stakeholders, expectation of yourself, because you are trying to bring that unique, your personal uh, beliefs into the professional space. So... Let's explore that for a minute. What is your expectation? Like, how do you, how does Jeffrey <laughs> function in the space of expectation? Like your empathy, your kindness, bringing that to the professional space, and how do you kind of like translate that? So, I, as you were talking, I immediately thought of with with expectations. I think it starts with boundaries, and I could say super transparently i am much better at setting and holding boundaries professionally than personally i think a lot of us tolerate things personally that you would not tolerate professionally and that's just based on family obligations teaching with what's going on and everything in the world being so polarizing right now it's a lot harder personally because the polarization is personal and in the workplace, you don't have to get involved in pol in polarization because I have my boundaries. The expectations are set on the parameters of the role that you are involved in. Expectations personally are very different because you don't have performance to measure somebody against. So it's two very different worlds. But if you hold true to who you are, which is, always a work in progress, the boundaries should keep you aligned with your expectations in both worlds. So the worlds don't necessarily have to collide. So what do I mean by that? A, a boundary professionally could mean in my world, in the recruitment world, somebody wants to talk to you on a Saturday night or a Sunday night. And that's just unacceptable. You're, you, you do have to have your work-life balance. You do have to unplug. An expectation could be an ask from an internal customer, a hiring manager who last minute says, well, I need thir these 30 positions filled within the next 30 days. And that's just an unrealistic expectation. So you would push back and say, I'm sorry, I'm willing to do this, but I can't deliver it in the time that you are asking for. That comes with the integrity part. 
on your personal life, the expectation could be uh, right now, let's say I am live streaming with you, but something happens upstairs while my two kids are in the, are in the bath and my wife needs me. I had to set that boundary where now what do I do? Do I totally upset Mila and say like, hey, sorry, everything's got to stop. I got to go. Or do I preemptively set the expectation that I am now sitting in a room in my house, door locked, upstairs, everybody knows for the next hour, you just can't get to me unless there is a fire. So it really comes, I think the expectations start with boundaries. That's what I would say. And I think your boundaries start with what is in your DNA? Who are you? And are you going to live by those things? <clears throat> Very beautifully put. Yeah. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love the different examples that you gave, right? And you also brought out the really key point that I want to touch on. You, you spoke about performance to measure someone, right? At work, um, professionally, we normally <laughs> use performance, performance to measure someone. And, and like, to your point, personally, we will go the extra mile, but professionally, we don't go the extra mile to, to show that empathy. And it's very transactional at the workspace. But at the same time, the workplace is drastically shifting, right? Especially when we talk about diversity, because diversity needs to be an integral part of a culture. And and without without diversity, culture stands as as a, like in the form of ping pong tables and tidbits. It becomes like a bro, like a bro space. But I want to touch on performance to measure someone. Right, and you spoke about boundary, boundaries, setting boundaries. But coming from a very, coming from a diverse, diversity perspective, right? Because especially from an inclusive space, and right now everyone is talking about how inclusive we should become, how diverse we should become. Um, and diversity is just not about you know we hire X number of people of this particular ethnic group and we're done with that. But it's also about, you know, understanding someone from a core level. And I want to I, I want to relate that to what you just said. Okay, if there's a fire, if something is happening to your family right now, uh, do you what do you do? Do you just abandon the life? Right? But at the same time, when it's a personal crisis, right? When a personal crisis is happening, it takes on precedence. It, it takes on your priority but at the same time i have to understand hey jeff is a human jeff <laughs> is showing up as a person from a three-pronged perspective whatever is happening at home is going to impact him in in the workplace or in the school space wherever that you're showing up for work and this is considered as work as well because we are exchanging thoughts and insights and tips and tricks not tricks but tips uh, uh, to you know to to finding resolutions but that impacts you on a personal level granular level Absolutely. that impacts you on a professional level as well so going back to the performance to measure and this is something that i want to i want to have a deeper discussion with you especially when you're in the talent acquisition space when something personal impacts someone, that bleeds into the professional space. So how can we how can we not say, no, those two are separate things, you know, that needs to be a difference. You need to keep personal at home and professional at the workspace. And I've heard like a lot of leaders use this 
narrative as to keep that shit at home. I don't want to hear that at the workspace, but when someone has lost their loved ones or someone is undergoing a divorce, someone is having a financial crisis, right? That stress becomes inevitable. It bleeds into the professional space. Sure. So, so go ahead. You're going to say so something. This is yeah, I mean, this is really where leadership kicks in. So mm -hmm. I, I think I, I am a big numbers guy. I always use that 80-20 rule, like 80% of the time, the numbers are going to tell me what I need to know. 20% of the time, let's resort to the narrative. And this is where being a leader, that 20% is going to come into play. What is the narrative? What can I do? What do you need from me? And these are weekly conversations. It's not just you can't evaluate performance and always talk about performance without really establishing a rapport with the people on your team. You need to know who they are, what motivates them, what are, like, like with my team, we talk about every week, uh, wants, wins, and worries, and roadblocks. And we identify roadblocks. And talking about roadblocks, we move to, is the roadblock a hill, a will, or a skill? And let's talk about how to remove the roadblock. My job as a leader is to support everybody on my team to eliminate what those roadblocks are. Of course, a roadblock is gonna be personal. We're dealing with a pandemic right now. We are dealing with the uncertainty of people have a job right now and they're still not sure how they feel about sending their kids back to school. I may not wanna come back to work because I may not wanna send my kid into school. I might wanna opt for remote learning. So now I need to be in the house. What could we do together? I am a high performer. I, but what could organization do to empathize with me? Can we modify my hours? There's tons of different ways you could do it. And that starts with the connecting, the leader actually leading and understanding the person that they are talking to, who is on their team, what is the track record? Is, is this a one-off? Do we have um, too many incidents to be a coincidence? Is this just somebody who is always in the red? They are very drama triangle oriented. Every week is something new personal because then it's very different than empathizing if you're being taken advantage of. So that's also a tightrope that you need to walk when you're evaluating that 80-20. Do I want to honor the 20% of the time or do I want to call attention to the fact that prior to the pandemic, you were late three times in a week? Do we need to look at changing your schedule from eight to four to nine to five? You know, I have that ability. Do we need to look at a different location? Instead of working in location A, which is a 30-minute commute, maybe I move you to location B with a different schedule. The commute is longer, but you'll get there on time. So it's all, it's all about connecting with the person, finding out what the need is, and seeing what we can do to adjust it. I love that you use the 80-20 rule, which is so important, right? And also, <laughs> you explore or you touched on so many different things, like giving the person the benefit of the doubt. It's always important to give someone the benefit of the doubt to truly understand what kind of crisis are they going through. And so, you mentioned about the pandemic. Yeah. I, I yeah. wish I could take credit for that one, but I fortunately had some really great leaders as I went through my career. And just the term assume positive intent has been beaten into me. So it's, it's, kind of how I modeled my leadership style. What is the situation? And listen, I'm a New Yorker. New Yorkers by trait, stereotypically are skeptical. We are looking at what is the angle this person is trying to take advantage of me. 
So it's extra hard to assume the positive intent when your entire life you are brought up to not trust the person talking to you. They are trying to take advantage of you. There is no such thing as a free lunch. But it does really start with assuming positive intent. Try to decode what the message is and what could I do to make this a little more bearable for you. I may not be able to fix the problem. And ideally, if I am a really strong leader, I'm not even going to tell you how to fix the problem. I'm going to point you in some directions and throw out some subtle cues where you'll feel better about yourself if you can come up with the solution. So I'm having a hard time getting to work on time regularly. We talk about it. And ultimately, instead of me saying, how about we switch your schedule? If I'm really an effective leader, it's, hey, Jeff, I'm, instead of eight to four, can I switch to nine to five? Is it okay if instead of taking a lunch break in the middle of the day, my for an hour, I'm 30 minutes late, and then I'll take 30 minutes in the middle of the day instead of 60. So if you can get your people thinking about the solutions, you're, you're really doing what you need to do in terms of their growth as well. That's really fantastic. You know, to, when we talk about diversity, right, diversity is, it comes in the spaces of flexibility as well. And this is one one method of how flexibility looks like and you spoke about you know being a leader how can you point them in the right direction as opposed to as opposed to saying this is what you need to do and and when and we become those kind of leaders where we say this is what you need to do then we are not really listening to what they are undergoing and we are ultimately coming from a point of expectation like this is what you need to do at the back of the head it's like i expect you to do this and if you do not do this then there will be you know the precautions so i want to touch on something really quickly you know you mentioned mm -hmm. about you know when we talk about being effective leaders uh and effective leaders where we are where we are the same person personally and professionally but at the same time, not all leaders are the same personally and professionally. And you, and you can easily see that, right? And sometimes we have leaders who, who, say, who say one thing at the same time, they create this discourse environment for their team members to fail drastically. We, and we are not setting them up for success. Immediately, we are setting them up for failure. So on the flip side, you know, we are giving leaders tips how to be effective on the flip side how can we give team members or uh, to be effective in spaces where they do recognize where uh, my my leader is not um you know, empathetic as they are personally and when they come into the professional space they just become a robot how can we give tips for them to navigate this space so uh, that's really tough you're talking about somebody that is supported by a, uh, how do I want to say this PC? It's someone who's being supported by a leader who is not very open-minded is what we are trying to problem solve here. So I, this is where integrity really comes into play. Forget the leader. We're, we're talking about the actual employee. They need to have the integrity to realize I can't be efficient if I'm not being given the right tools. If my person is not giving me the right tools, I need to go find the person that will. And it's not necessarily, again, assume that positive intent. It's not for this person to throw their leader under the bus. It's to say, this has been asked of me. 
in order for me to do this, here are some things that I need. And I'm not getting this support or direction or advice from my leader, so next level person. Or, I mean, we, we, might, we could spin off and go into mentorship because I love that as well. Mentor person, here's something I'm dealing with in the workplace. Have you seen this before? How do I combat it? What could I do? Because you always wonder, you know, being rewind in my career, being this person, you always wonder about backlash, repercussions from that leader, because we're now going off the premise that this is not an efficient leader. So they may not be thrilled with the fact that you went around them to get something that you need. So now you worry about the backlash as well. But at the end of it all, I would say whoever this person is that's dealing with this difficult, non-supportive leader, you need to do what is in your DNA that you could keep your head on your pillow at night. And that's where that integrity comes in. If you're not getting what you need, you need to raise your hand and say, whoa, something is not right here. Here is what I need. I will also say when you are asking for what you need, especially when we're talking about organizationally, you can't just, this is a, a big flaw of people. You can't just say, I can't do it. Point out the problem you got to offer a solution. So this is the best piece of advice. I don't want to say the best. This is one of the best pieces of advice that anybody has ever given to me. If you find a deficiency, you find an error in process, you find a roadblock. It is a very different story when you say, I can't do my job because of this. That's complaining. If you say, I can't do my job because of this, here is what I need to resolve it. You're bringing a solution. So it's one thing to identify the problem. You have to identify a solution. And it doesn't mean your solution is going to be approved because what you're asking for may cost an obscene amount of money that an organization is just not willing to spend. But at least if you bring up the problem, you are offering a remedy. So that's a big thing. But dealing with a toxic leader, um, I would say, I mean, now if we really want to get super Brene Brown, we, it would say, are you just fitting in or are you where you belong? And depending on where you are in your career, I understand some people just have to put up with things, but I would say you will be a lot happier and more productive if you could find where you belong. I love that you mentioned about resolutions, right? It's so, and you're so right. Uh, you know, when we handle roadblocks, it's so imperative to find, identify this is the roadblock at the same time. It is also important to identify a resolution. Right. And and that resolution not necessarily is the ultimate resolution, but right. at least at least we are flexing, not flexing, but exercising that muscle. Right. Exercising that creative muscle in our brain. Like, how do I problem solve? And problem solving is not like one way. And that's it. Problem solving. It's, it's like, how do you climb a mountain? You know, you can either climb a mountain through a rope or you can you know chip away around the mountain yeah. build a rope around it or take a plane and just go all the way up and then drop yourself up over that there's so many different ways but at the same time i want to emphasize on this because problem solving you mentioned it about finding that resolution the more we find resolution to problems i personally think that it impacts and it changes the way how we see the world personally as well right? The more we problem solve at work, the more challenges that we experience at work or, you know, what vice versa, it 
since it exercises the brain, it exercises our critical thinking. It also exercises our critical questioning skills as well, like walking through a process. It changes whom we are as a person personally, because you are exercising yourself to question. You're exercising yourself to eliminate that fear. You're exercising your soul to become more clearer, a more clearer as as an uh, as a communicator. And that, in turn, impacts us professionally or vice versa, whichever space that we are trying to problem solve. What are your thoughts on this, Joe? I, I would absolutely agree. I think as you grow professionally, you grow personally. Right? From personal experiences, I, I could say this trickles into actually what we talk about with our hiring managers. But I could say definitively, the person I am today, personally and professionally, is very different than who Jeffrey Shapiro was three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Segue it into what I do in the world of staffing. I will tell you every recruiter has told you, they will say they've been told by a hiring manager, I don't want to meet with this person. I met with them three years ago. And immediately it's, are you who you were three years ago? Because I could surely assume that they are not who they were three years ago. So yes, I absolutely think our brain is a muscle. The more we use it, the more analytical we become, we, we pick up more skills, we are seeing things. Hopefully some of that is trickling into your home life when we are tackling problems and just interpersonal skills, communication with right. going back to that setting of boundaries. Like I have become much stronger with setting boundaries in my personal life through who I have become professionally because it's, again, it's easier to do professionally. So you build up that courage. You you throw out that vulnerability. It just takes that first time to say no, and then it becomes the norm. I love what you just said, and something stuck out to me immediately when you mentioned about Jeffrey Shapiro is not the same person three years ago, right? Oh, absolutely right. not. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not the same person as as I was when I was five years old. Like our cells replace at replace itself what. Every seven years, different parts of our body replaces itself. Three months, it, it, that's a huge range. Right? The timeline yeah. itself is huge. And that's such an important piece that you brought up. You mentioned that's how some hiring managers say that they do not want to meet people whom they have met three years ago. And it speaks a lot about how we are. I'm not going to say how we are as a leader. You know, I'm not going to separate it. Because when we have that bias as to, I've met this person three years ago, I had a bad experience, I'm not going to have speak with this person again. That itself is bias. When we are constantly aiming to dismantle biases, that itself is something that we need to fight against. And, and, and to your point, it's like, you know, when people change every day, Yes, there are some sometimes where people undergo a funk and you know it's a stagnant phase. Everyone undergoes that at some stage in their life. But at the same time, to give the person the benefit of the doubt, and that's a huge red flag to me at least. If you are a leader and you have that narrative, oh, I don't want to do that. That carries to different spaces as as well, and that impacts in how. We are creating a culture of inclusion. To your point, is it a culture fit or is it a space of belonging? 
right? Yeah. So, so what kind of tips, now we go transition to the tips part. So what kind of tips would you, would you provide someone where we grow as a person, let's say be personally and professionally, what kind of tips do you have for leaders or young leaders or anyone, right? where they can start those steps of how can I become the same person as I am personally and professionally? At some point, the, the best, best way to do it is just draw a line in the sand and decide today is the day I am going to start. And you just let it snowball and make one little change one day. Behavior change is hard. I, I, I admit it. We all suffer with behavior changes. You got to spend time on it. You make one behavior change, focus on it. The sooner you learn that wasn't as hard as I thought, the easier it is to start making your own changes personally and professionally. You might not be the person that wants to speak up and you, everybody in the business world uses the word pushback. How pushback is healthy. Some people are not comfortable with saying like, whoa, hold up. I don't like what you're asking me to do. And they'll just stay silent. It's probably easier having little to no experience in it it's probably easier to start on your personal life than it is professionally because a lot of people i recognize are not willing to rock the boat professionally a majority of people are in a situation where they are worried if they rock the boat i might lose my job right. but at the end of it, it you have to start and draw the line in the sand somewhere and i would say start with your own boundaries we keep talking about boundaries and I think a great place to start is family. We all we are all victims of being walked over or just taken advantage of by family members. They just they know you are the type of person that is a giver and you won't say no. So they ask you to do something and you know that they are perfectly capable of doing it themselves. But you just enable. We are we are all enablers when it comes to our family, but at some point we have to draw the line in the sand for our own personal mental health and sanity to say here is when I'm going to make the change. And that becomes your net, your norm. So that change needs to become a habit. The habit becomes the norm. And then you trickle in something new. You make another change. And then before you know it, you already heard me say this phrase before, you start talking the walk. It's, mm -hmm. You can believe one thing. There's a difference between reading something, being really motivated by it, and saying, yeah, I want to do that. The bigger jump is actually doing it. And it's really hard to do. It is what we're talking about is not easy, but it is hard to do. But it is so rewarding if you come out on the other side. And I think a lot of people use like the phrase perfectionist. And uh, I'll go back to Brene again. Like it's actually a negative. I used to think being a perfectionist meant like everything is great. I am always meeting a deadline. When I make a plan, the plan is being executed. Well, that's statistically an anomaly because you cannot live a perfect life when you make a plan. The odds are the plan is going to fail. It's okay if the plan fails. It's what did you learn from the failed plan? How do we adjust it in the future? Which goes back to that first thing when one of the first things we were talking about is just because that is how something has been done in the past does not mean it is a best practice. Things are changing every day. And then you bring in the diversity part. What works for me efficiently may not necessarily be the best process or the best way to accomplish the same exact task by someone on my team. 
They may have a diverse skill set that I do not have. They may know about a process from a previous job that makes what they are doing. Uh, I always use clicks. When I ask them to do something and they may know somebody something that would knock six clicks out of the process. That in itself is part of diversity that doesn't get talked about. A lot of people just think of diversity as gender, ageism, sex, race. Diversity is the skill set. Every person that is an employee, unless it is your first job, you have seen things done differently at other places. A really strong, diverse organization is going to borrow all of these workflows and processes from their employees and make something that is their own. So go back and just, you, you got to start somewhere and draw that line in the sand. Tonight, as you go to bed, think about what change you want to make. Write it on a little, like I am a huge whiteboard person, write it on that little whiteboard. When you wake up the next day, live that change and hold yourself to it and you will feel good about it. I love that you mentioned before you go to bed. So I'm a huge whiteboard person, but not a whiteboard. I'm a notebook person, so I write everything down. I love that tip that you mentioned. Write it down, right? And you mentioned about change does not happen overnight, and that's so true because it sure. it takes three months. <laughs> it takes three months to even notice how much weight we have lost. If you're losing weight, right? Like to your eyes, it will take at least. Three months for you to notice that yes the change has happened but going back to your point of boundaries and not being a perfectionist it's so true right to make that transition of being an effective leader where we do practice hardship where you know we want to create a space of belonging and acceptance of everyone is is eliminating that mindset of being a perfectionist is also to embrace that mindset of how can I set boundaries? To your point, yes, I, I've been, <laughs> I'm a walkover when it comes to my family, right? When we go out to eat, like every, everyone would, like, would ask, where do you want to go eat? And I'd say, okay, I, I want to go eat over here. And then I'll hear all the other comments, no, we should go eat here, we should go eat there. And quickly, I'll change my answer to whatever works for everyone. And I will not get to eat my favorite food. <laughs> so, right. and, and that place, and you know, to some people, it's not a big deal. But at the same time, when it happens so many times, you build this not hatred, but you build this kind of like aversion. Like, oh, I don't get to eat the food that I want, even when we go. So, so I think that's a great practice, Jeffrey. When you mentioned about you know, practice it every day. You start with your family, and then it transitions to the workspaces as well. There's always a difference between respectfully rocking the boat and rocking the boat <laughs> abruptly and not caring sure. about other people's emotions. So I wanted to highlight that as well. So I know that our time is coming quickly to an end. Any last tips, Jeff, to our listeners out there? How can we become leaders who practice hardship where we are true to ourselves in the space that we are without blinders and with blinders you know, at the workspace or personally. So I will, I'll throw this out there. Anybody could be a leader. You do not have to physically manage people to be a leader. Leader is behavior. Leader is not a title. So 
whatever vertical you are working in, whatever industry, you have the ability to impact people. Everybody works with people. No matter where you are working, you are working with people or customers. So that leadership is really just starting with, I will totally rip off Nordstrom right now. So I am a big fan of Nordstrom. Their employee handbook is one index card. And to paraphrase, it's just exercise good judgment in all situations. And that in itself speaks volumes. Just whatever you are doing, if you think about Nordstrom, whatever you are doing, if you are interacting with one of our customers, exercise good judgment. We got your back. So that, that, that salesperson is a leader. They are working with the customers. They are making a decision. So I will say whether you are answering phones, you are at a front desk, you are in hospitality, the restaurant industry, in my world of healthcare, no matter what, you have the ability to be a leader. So don't think of it as you need to climb the corporate ladder. You need a title of manager. You need to have direct reports because in the, in the team sport world, most people will tell you that the leaders are the outspoken role players on the bench that lead by example, not the all-star on the team, not even the coach or the GM. It's, it's all about who's going to live the core values and talk the walk. We are going to show based on actions. Actions are always going to be louder than words. I could tell you I'm not willing to do something. And ultimately, if you ask me again and again and again, I'm going to end up doing it. But if my action is firm and say, like, sorry, I could not do this, you should go and I give you another resource. Why don't you go to blank for this or ask this person for that? Or I don't have an answer for you. Let's go get it together. But it's all about the action. So that's what's going to get you into the world of leadership. Beautiful tip, Jar. Beautiful tip. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your beautiful mind and your heart today on Hotship. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Be sure to follow Jeffrey Shapiro on Twitter. His handle is, you can just find him, Jeffrey Shapiro. Ah. Um, <laughs> and he's active. He's active on Twitter. He's just fantastic. His thoughts, his tips, it's just fantastic. He's, he's just a brilliant human. And follow him on LinkedIn as well. And again, if you like this show, give it a thumbs up on YouTube. If you're listening to this on the repurposed version of iTunes or Spotify, subscribe, like, and again, tune in to next week. Thank you again, Jeff, for being on this show. I really appreciate you coming on board. I am flattered you had me. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Till next week, we'll see you again on Hotship, the now of workplace diversity leadership in it. Thank you.